This episode includes discussion of group suicide. If you find this subject upsetting, please join us next week. Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals for our continued coverage of Madoka Magica. I'm Alex. Hi, this is Blixa. Hey, this is Ben. And this time we are covering two uh, episodes as usual. We're going to do three and four today, which I'm really excited about because I don't know much about this show. I'm watching these episodes for the first time today. Uh, and I've heard that three is a real turning point in the series. That we get <laughs> some answers to some questions. Uh, and we're very excited to have a knowledgeable fan on with us. Uh, please welcome our new guest, Marcy. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for being here. Yeah. Some some of our hosts are, are traveling. Some of them just got back from traveling, but we're all excited to be present with each other right now. Are you, you traveling, Blixa? I'm in Denver. Oh, very cool. Very cool. You didn't get my postcard? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I bought you an extravagant gift because <laughs> I knew you were going to come back from Japan with something for me. Uh, so Marcy... Do you have, well, let's start. Do you have any experience with this show? Absolutely. I I think I watched Madoka for the first time when I was in like, because what year was it that it came out? Like 2011, mm. 2012, something like that. So I, yeah. I would have been like in like late middle school, I believe at the time. Um, and all I really knew about it at that time, because it was kind of popping off a little bit, was that like, oh, it's a magical girl show, but something, something, oh, everybody's like really surprised by something that happened midway through. And it's like really different from all these other magical girl shows. So I was like, okay. I mean, I watched Sailor Moon on like tapes that I rented from Blockbuster as a little kid. So sure, that sounds great. And then it proceeded to ruin my life for the next like couple of months. Because you just got so into it or? Yeah, it, like that. Also, it just like I'm a really uh, sensitive person. So I cry a lot whenever I watch shows. So uh, this, def- this definitely got me. Crying <laughs> is the best. Uh, I love that sentence. Watched it on tapes I got from Blockbusters. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> I was I was terrified of the uh, the episode with like the hairdresser monster in Sailor Moon. I have very vivid memories of popping that one in, seeing the monster, and then uh, shutting the TV off and running downstairs. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say I looked up. It's uh, 2011, January mm-hmm. 2011. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Oh, I think that's the same year as Dark Souls. That's cool. A lot of overlap between these two. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and so uh, uh, do you have, well, now I'm assuming you have a history with anime, mm-hmm. not just uh, uh, Madoka, but uh, do you have any mm-hmm. works that were really formative to you? Uh, formatively, like, I mean, besides just the general, like, like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh!, I think like the first kind of shows that really made me realize that I liked anime and that it was like a different thing that like, oh, this isn't just like regular Saturday morning cartoons or whatever. I I watched the first Naruto anime a lot. Oh, wow. Mm. Cat's really going off over there for some reason. Um, (laughs) Maybe he uh, is interested in the topic. But um, (laughs) I also used to watch Zatch Bell religiously. That was a big mm. favorite of mine. Very, very fun uh, Battle Shonen series. Uh, still mm. really love that to this day. Mm. Beyond that, like uh, in middle school, I got really into Ava, of course, because, you know, mm. that happens to everybody at one point, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, from there, I just, you know, have kind of just like experimented around. I, I watched a lot of things when I was a kid of varying qualities, m- a lot of which I probably shouldn't have at that tender age. But you know how it goes. Um, and Madoka was one of them, definitely. I think that's important. You know, like we strive to watch, you know, quote, good things mm-hmm. or things that will agree with us. But I think it's important to watch stuff you don't like and oh, yeah. stuff you consider bad just to, you know, give yourself a metric to work for. Yeah, I, I had like a, a lot of, you know, diverse anime experiences when I was a kid of just watching like whatever schlock you could find fan subbed on whatever site with like yeah. five million pop up ads. Yes. <laughs> Or on three parts on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those were the days. Well, uh, we're really excited to go over these episodes. We won't take too long to get into them. Does anybody have any news or anything they want to share before we uh, uh, start the watch through? Nothing comes to my mind. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Then I'm going to do this last time on, and then we will get to watching. Last time on Madoka the Teenage Witch, Madoka had a dream, or something, where she saw and took a liking to Hamura Akimi ahead of schedule. Madoka's friends, Sayaka and Hitomi, are a major part of Madoka's life, but only one will become a magical girl with her. After school, Madoka wandered into the back room of a music shop with suspiciously little in common with the storefront, architecturally speaking, of course. The aforementioned Hamura suddenly appeared, hunting a dirty, lying cat rabbit named Kyubei. Sayaka appeared just in time to distract Hamura, giving our resident overpowered mentor, Mami Tomoe, the time to make an explosive and threatening entrance. When Madoka woke up, she wondered if it was just another dream, until Kyubei, playing the role of personal space invader, revealed himself. You see, Kyubei had a problem, witches, and fitting with the anime tropes, Kyubei could think of only one solution, child soldiers. Before Madoka and Sayaka could join Mami and Homura in the ranks of magical girls, they'd have to make a wish and sign a contract. But even before that, Mami needed to show them the kind of danger they'll be placed in. So Mami took these two middle school girls, armed only with Sayaka's prudent golden bat, to find a witch. This shows ostensible antagonists. After dispatching this supposed enemy in style, Mami explained that soul gems acquire stains as magical girls use their abilities. In order to keep the soul gem working, they must transfer the stain onto a witch's grief seed, which looked suspiciously like an overused soul gem. Will these under-informed youths sign the contract? What wish is worth their servitude? Why does Hamura want to kill Kyubei? Let's find out. Mm. Very succinct. Very nice. All right. Ready to go. Everyone queued up. All right. Mm-hmm. Three, two, one, play. Are we allowed to point out what the witch runes say if we know, by the way? What the witch runes say? Like the little runes that appeared below the witch when it appared. Oh, oh yeah, please. What yeah, does it mean? Uh, it's, uh, clarifies that this one's name is Charlotte. Charlotte. So they have little girls' names. There's something really familiar about that monster, but I can't think of what it is that it reminds me of. Uh, it reminds me of Spinel from Steven Universe, but that came out way after this. Reminds me of the Hungry Caterpillar. oh the very hungry caterpillar with a clown face i mean i think there's a lot of uh older animation Mm -hmm. that takes on that style like it's specifically archaic looking Mm -hmm. yeah it looks like uh ub iwerks style art Mm. Mm. okay should we start with first impressions 
Like, what did we just watch? <laughs> <laughs> well, we just watched the horror twist in the show, the third, the third episode twist. And we just watched, I guess, mommy get killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you see that coming? No, did not see that coming. And it, it, she died in this. I don't know which came first, but it was reminiscent of like Gaunt's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's really famous for having these big boss fights where they defeat it and then it morphs. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes all body horror and another piece becomes the head and they're like, oh, I'm not dead yet. And then that, whatever the new form is, kills one of the party. Uh, Sorry to interrupt, but Gaunt Gaunt is another anime or what is Gaunt? Yeah, Gaunt, G-A-N-T-Z. A pretty popular, uh, hyper-violent kind of horror anime. Sort of like a iteration of like Battle Royale, sort of. Mm. Sort of. So the basic premise of Gaunt's is that the people are dying around, I think it's Tokyo. But anyways, it's some Japanese city. And some of the people who die, they're brought back. They're essentially cloned by this mysterious black ball that's, mm. I don't know, the size of a dinner table. It's got a little old man in it. Does it really? <laughs> but the it assembles teams of people and gives them weapons and they go fight aliens, which are like allegorically the same as yokai. So like it's different monsters or whatever, and uh, normal people can't see them, but the Gaunt's people, these resurrected people can see them. And you, by completing these missions, you, I think, like accrue points and you can use the points to like resurrect people Hmm. or get new gear or something. And like all of the monsters are super extremely overpowered and like usually eldritch nightmare creatures. Interesting. Yes. (laughs) So bizarre. Yeah. With a bunch of, you know, this is not my final form moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely uh, get that comparison with this witch in particular. Now, the witch itself, gosh, like just the barrier, as you said, like the the realm this witch inhabits, it just looks so good every time. Like the things that are similar between the witches, like the styling, but then also the individual choices, like mm-hmm. why are scissors there in both of the witch barriers we've seen so far? Why is this one much more childlike, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a freshly hatched grief seed, which maybe that makes sense. But like the witch that hatched out of it looked like a doll. And all of the imagery was like sweets. So like, I, I, I'm, I'm jumping too far ahead. We need to talk about it. <laughs> no, you're like right on target. And then like that second form of the witch, it looks like it's made out of like ice cream or pastries mm. and candy. It like almost kind of like yeah. balloons or like party streamers. Oh mm. yeah. Like one of those, has anybody ever seen they're like these ice cream sundaes? where the cone is on top instead of yeah, underneath yeah. and it, they make like a clown face with it. That's exactly what mm. it reminds me of. Ugh, let's keep clowns out of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're definitely going into magical girls as exploitation. And the I loved the barrier because all of these symbols that we were seeing, there were pill bottles too, which was, I don't know, I couldn't decode that. But um, we saw all of these sweets that are generally associated with childhood, Mm -hmm. like taking your time and being out with friends and being home with your parents and taking special time, which we also got linked a little bit in this episode when Madoka had the conversation with her dad when her mom came in drunk. Like that was something I would not think I would have seen in an anime. And it wasn't exactly played as, oh, this is a terrible thing the mother does. 
but it wasn't played for laughs like it would in normal children's anime, right? But the dad gets her hot chocolate, you know, this mm-hmm. sweet thing to savor this moment of childhood. Hmm. I, I do think that there is kind of like maybe a, I'm, I'm not sure if I interpreted this right, but, you know, they're talking about like the mom liking working. And so I got the impression maybe that she was like drinking at some work function and sort of like obligated mm-hmm. to drink like that. Right. So this wasn't yeah. like the breadwinner getting drunk at the bar on the way home from work, but kind of like maybe a specific scenario there. Mm-hmm. She did mm-hmm. complain. Uh, I think, you know, she must have been talking about like her boss or somebody, but she says like, oh, you know, that old Baldy, if he wants to drink so much, he can do it by himself. Why should I have to do it with him? Yeah. yeah. Office culture. So that's a common drug culture thing, right? Like some people, you know, do drugs alone, but a lot of people like to do drugs with other people because it kind of gives them permission. They don't feel bad about themselves because they're like, oh, it's normal. Everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. And we had some uh, uh, mirroring in our magical girl plot because mommy felt so alone being a magical girl and she felt this. Uh, The only reason I'm not completely horrified by mommy being killed there is because she got this moment of resplendent joy, like a psychological catharsis, you know, a eureka moment where she was like, maybe I don't have to be alone. Maybe I can find camaraderie in other magical girls. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, sadly cut short, but it it really mirrors uh, uh, what was happening or that that obligation of uh, uh, drinking with someone like the mm-hmm. mom felt. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it sort of reminds me of this experience I had. So I worked in Japan for a year in the lab of this woman who she was like the only female professor in her department of like, you know, maybe like 30 professors or something like there still are these spaces that are kind of very gendered in Japan in a way mm-hmm. that they aren't anymore in the US. But we were having this like, party in the lab she went off to some like work meeting event thing and then she came back like sloshed and i was like oh that's like kind of weird and and one of the other people in the lab were like yeah they think like probably you know the professors were all drinking and they were kind of bullying her in a way or kind of like forcing her to keep up even though you know she's a woman and like probably can't you know drink as much as them and that Mm -hmm. it was sort of this form of like sexual harassment or power harassment almost to like force her to drink. Mm. And, and I think that might be going on with the mom here. And so the daughter's sort of like, why does she like put up with this shit? Like, why does she like working so much? Um, and that's sort of the conversation that she's having with the dad there. Mm-hmm. No, it feels that way because I I imagine that her mom and probably your boss in that scenario, because they're inhabiting this traditionally masculine space, they feel less empowered to say no to those kinds of things. Um, So it is just, you know, a a kind of accentuated form of peer pressure. And and that does feel like sort of like in the theme of, I don't know, it does feel like this show is very interested in kind of gender and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we also get the, I guess it'll be next episode that we get another thing of like the school teacher and like her 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> rants about dating. And I, I, on that note, actually, I think it would probably be a good thing to bring up too, con- like talking about pressure and everything. Uh, we got this very small glimpse at why uh, Mummy became a magical girl, her wish. Mm-hmm. It was like the most coercive under duress wish you could possibly have made because she was in a traffic accident and Kube just kind of sidles up to where she's like dying under this like the rubble of this car and i mean we don't get any dialogue but we can basically infer that like okay yeah he basically just popped up and was like hey you're dying do you want to not do that (laughs) (laughs) she and she basically says you know like well i mean you know if it was between dying and doing this then i would i would prefer to be doing this so it's no big deal but i mean like it it really isn't much of a choice at that point yeah it's it's sort of interesting then that she's like trying to recruit these other people when like she barely chose to do it herself and like only did it Mm -hmm. because of this weird circumstance she was in yeah i think the idea is that mommy is alone Mm. i think her parents died in that car crash Mm -hmm. Mm. and that's why we go to that unit where she's living and is living alone so maybe she's being a little selfish well i think i mean she was absolutely manipulated mm-hmm. and <clears throat> she doesn't want to be alone. So maybe she's an ideal candidate to start recruiting people. Mm-hmm. And we see the same behavior from Cube in this episode. Cube is like, oh, there, look, there's a grief seed. I, you, you better make your wish now and become magical girls mm-hmm. or else what are we going to do in this situation? They could have just walked away and come back and dealt with it properly. They could have, you know, there's a lot of things they could have done, but Kube was very interested in them becoming magical girls right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and again, when Mommy actually like dies, when she gets eaten, the first thing that comes out of Kube's mouth is better hurry up, better make a wish, better, better figure it out. It's a pitch. Yeah. And not fast enough to save mommy. No. Yeah. And that's when Homura came in to be like, hey, uh, that's not going to be necessary, actually. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I'm I really want to know what's up with. I want to know as much about Kube as I can get, because Kube seems to be super powerful, but is unable to help mommy in that situation or yeah. uninterested in helping yeah. mommy in that situation. It really mm-hmm. feels sort of like a djinn or something like that, right? Like it, mm. it has these great powers in some way, but also feels somehow like it's like constrained, right? It like needs these magical girls to like act for mm-hmm. him or it or whatever. They gender him in the next episode. As a him? They gender Cuba? Wait, or is it this one? They I, call I believe it's him a the boy. next one, yeah. Okay. But um first of all, like props to Homura. Like she saved the girls. Like I don't mean like from the witch, but from Cuba, from mm-hmm. having to make a decision under duress on the theme of manipulation. Uh, for the purpose of pressuring someone. It's interesting that this episode has the crush on the boy. Mm-hmm. Gosh darn it, what's her name? Sayaka is visiting this kid and is all, obviously falling for him. Kamijo. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the witch realm and there's all this like medical stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank right? you. I couldn't make, I didn't connect that. I was wondering uh-huh. why all of this medical stuff. And like, I still don't know. Hmm. I don't have like an in-story reason, but theming wise, That's something that Sayaka was seeing. So maybe like when you're in the witch's realm, maybe it's not just that witch. Maybe it's projecting something that you're thinking about. Or what someone else wants you to think about. Mm. 
Hmm. Because so far we've seen Cube getting people to a point of desperation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so many questions about these grief seeds. Because I, I just thought the grief seed was something that it was just the same thing as a soul gem. You know, like the witch has the grief seed and it's the source of her power. And But now we saw a grief seed that like didn't have a witch. It hatched into a witch or something like. I don't know. Something's not adding up about these witches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did mommy die? Because she was distracted. Uh, yeah. I my my general impression of the moment was basically in that sort of state of euphoria, in that sort of like, oh wow, you know, I don't have to be alone anymore. She gets very self confident. She gets very like, oh well, you know, time to show off for my magical girl underclassman that's going to be joining me in the fight soon. You know, kind of thing. And she gets very sort of cocksure and show-offy. And then in the midst of that, she sort of underestimates her enemy and uh, ends up uh, freezing up when she is faced with this unexpected development in the fight. And uh, that's unfortunately kind of all it takes. Because she also doesn't listen to Homura. So like Homura is trying to like warn her. Yeah, she tries to warn her. She says, you know, this witch is different than the others that you've been fighting up until now and she basically just kind of tells her shut up <laughs> but so this witch too we don't get a grief seed they did yeah yeah we got the grief seed at the very end homura took it away oh, okay i wasn't sure if that was mommy's oh her soldier oh. yeah mm. well because they're like that belongs to mommy i mean like oh yeah what happened to mommy's soul gem so yeah. I, I thought maybe that was the soul gem, but I don't. Oh, well, actually, now that I think about it, I could be remembering wrong. But you know that like shot where when Mami is first chomped down on, you see her body dangling for a second. Mm-hmm. It goes from her magical girl uniform to her regular like pedestrian uniform. Oh. And you see the little I think it's literally where her soul gem is. You see a little burst of light, like a crack hmm. as oh, it like okay. shatters. Gotcha. Oh, that's wild. All right. So this episode is called I'm Not Afraid of Anything Anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's mommy saying that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because up until now, mommy's just been a total badass mm-hmm. and like doesn't even break a sweat in any threat or confrontation. Uh, and it doesn't look like someone who's afraid. But now it's being revealed that she was afraid. She was always afraid mm-hmm. because she was alone. Mm. And maybe the reason why she was so badass uh, in taking out witches is because she had fear hmm. and it made her a better fi- a magical girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. More conscious. Mm-hmm. In this magical moment, you know, mommy is not alone anymore. She feels this bond with Madoka. And I think that's what happened in the fight. She lost her warrior fear. Hmm. I think love killed her. That's an interesting way of looking at it. So as she was fulfilled, she wasn't the same warrior that she was before. Well, she also has an interesting almost change of heart with uh, uh, Madoka because when they are walking towards the witch for this confrontation, she has a conversation with Madoka and she's saying, hey, have you thought about your wish? And it at first the conversation seems to be like just trying to get Madoka to focus on the wish, you know, make a decision. Uh, uh, 
she goes into this line of reasoning where she says like, well, if you don't have anything to wish for, just pick anything. It doesn't matter. And that totally relates to mommy's experience because mommy's experience was like, essentially her wish was was lost because of duress. Like she didn't actually get to wish for anything she wanted to because she had to do it in that moment, right? And I was thinking about like the things she says, she says like, you know, why don't you think, why don't you wish for a big party or, or, or a giant, you know, Kube has to treat us to a nice meal and a big cake. And Madoka says like a cake, like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like that's going to be, my wish can be anything and it's going to be a cake, but the cake is not really the thing. The experience of, of taking time with your childhood friends to enjoy something like that. And it can't be a coincidence with all of the the sweets imagery in that barrier. Hmm. It's like mommy has this change of heart. That's like the moment she's like, man, Madoka's different. Madoka makes me feel differently about being a magical girl. Mm-hmm. Going back to, um, you know, what are these witch worlds made out of? You know, now I'm wondering, you know, uh, based on what you were saying before, Blix, about like, like maybe they're designed for the girls that, you know, maybe mm. the medicine stuff is for Sayaka and then this cakes and sweet stuff is for Madoka. Mm. Those are like the different temptations trying to get them to become the magical girls. Mm. I think these witch realms look like ruined childhoods. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my prediction is that witches are magical girls. That witches are magical girls who have outlived their usefulness to Cuba. Well, then it seems mm. like uh, Homura is a witch already. Yeah. Oh, oh just man. a clarifying uh, point here. And I'm asking a question. Homura was hunting Cuba <clears throat> to prevent Madoka from becoming a magical girl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then at some point that was no longer relevant. So that's why she's not hunting Cuba anymore. Hmm. Like Kyube and Madoka had intersected. Mm-hmm. It was uh, basically in the beginning. She sort of s- tries to like hard stop, like prevent that contact from even occurring mm-hmm. in general. And then when it does happen, it's like, well, okay, so I haven't prevented your meeting, but I can still try to convince you not to, you know, listen to what he has to say. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, why is it too late now? Yeah, and I'm one, the only two things I can think of two possibilities there. One is that mommy is now part of the scene, and mm. maybe Homura was not counting on a more experienced, more powerful magical girl who is still sympathetic to Kube. Mm-hmm. So when she like has that encounter, she's like, "Okay, fine, I won't hunt Kube because if I do, mommy's gonna hunt me." Right. Or Madoka seems to be prophesied here, right? Like. Kyube mm. seems to imply that you think Mama is a powerful magical girl. No, 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 no. You, Madoka, you will be the magical girl. And so maybe there is a fear there from Homura that if she continues to attack Kyube, it will make Kyube more sympathetic to Madoka. Madoka will accept the contract and then Homura will be no match for Madoka. That's also it's just such a manipulator thing to say. And she says it to Madoka while Madoka is alone, right? So it's just like, mm. oh, no, you like you'll be way better than all these other like, I don't know, <laughs> like, you know, maybe maybe that's one of QA's moves. Yeah, that is like a groomer line, right? You're different from the other kids. You're so mature for your age. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, gross. 
Oh, yeah. Not a bad point, though. I hate Cubay even more now. Yeah. Well, and uh, while we're talking about how gross Cubay is, the the witches all look somewhat inhuman. Mm-hmm. Either they look like the first one we saw was like made out of nature, and then this one, when it was in the doll form, it had these this kind of blank, lifeless expression, and then once it was in its worm form. It looked, you know, just very inhuman. Well, Cubay also looks that inhuman. Its mm. mouth doesn't move when it speaks. It has these beady little rabbit eyes, which you can't trust. Doesn't blink. Yeah. Never trust a rabbit. Yeah. The the visual theming here is great in that, like, you know, you could probably guess some of this stuff or at least be on the right thought process before it actually happens. One last question. Why was it raining pills? No clue. Do you, do you have, is that a good question to think about for the next episode? Or do you have some knowledge you want to drop on us? I mean, they're in kind of an, an infirmary setting. So maybe it would just be consistent with that. Mm-hmm. But when we think about girls being manipulated, uh, sometimes Rohypnol comes to mind. Hmm. Uh, oh. reason why women have to have a drink with a top or have their hand over it all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. And the mom came in shit-faced mm-hmm. like couldn't stand up wow I, and you know i might be on the the wrong track i'll get to this maybe more after the next episode but i feel like i have like two competing ideas about sort of what this whole magical girl thing is and it sort of works as a metaphor for like getting into drugs and stuff like that right and you have mm-hmm. like one person being like oh, it makes you so special and magical, like, you know, whatever. And then someone else being like, no, like, don't go down this path. Like, there's a lot of, like, darkness here. So maybe that kind of goes with the the pill theme as well. Yeah, let's hold on to all that. Fantastic. Okay, any any last thoughts before we do this second episode? I'm I'm holding on to some stuff, but I think it'd be a little more interesting to bring up after like kind of getting a little bit more of the show's vibes soaked in. So I'll bring it up then. Okay, cool. All right. Let's get everyone's got it queued up. All right. Three, two, one, play. I just hadn't interesting thought about that opening shot again actually Mm -hmm. in any other magical girl anime like the opening sort of sets this framing of like oh how cute and adventurous and poppy it is our first shot in the opening is madoka standing in the light alone in her sort of magical girl getup, and it's got this very like the lighting is very like standing on a stage before you go up before everybody is Mm. going to watch you do your awesome Mm. stuff or whatever and she's Mm. crying i just think that's interesting yeah. yeah. All right. So my question, why is this called Miracles and Magic Are Real? Uh, that was uh, Sayaka's statement when Kamijo is despairing. You know, she mm-hmm. sort of reiterates that like, no, and I'm going to prove it to you right now. Like ostensibly, she doesn't say that, but like you know, she goes off to make her wish right after that, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kyotsuke gets the miracle. Yeah. And Sayaka gets the magic. I I'm I'm very proud of Sayaka for wishing for something for someone else. Mm-hmm. She is a little young, I feel, to be making that kind of a a wish for someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he definitely does not appreciate her. Yeah. That she is doing for him already. 
I I do, you know, understand that he probably has this very temporary, like, frustration, but the way he speaks to her in that moment is very, like, I've always been like, come on, man, that's, that's uncalled for. She's just trying to be nice. Yeah, and, and like, mm-hmm. going way out of her way, right? Like, she's, like, the one person that visits him and... Like, all the time. But, you know, it's that phrase, we only hurt the ones we love, because she's the only one paying enough attention to him for him to hurt. Like, mm-hmm. the, the nurses and shit won't take that shit. If he blows up at them, they'll just be like, ah, time for you to calm down and leave the room. They have that professional distance. So she's the only one he can mm. abuse like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do not have much hope that he uh, appreciates the sacrifice that she made for him. Mm-hmm. Well, and to that extent, too, it's like it's not like she can really uh, articulate it to him either because she can't just, you know, come over to him and be like, hey, I cured your hands with magic. He'll think she's insane. <laughs> She'll just sound crazy. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. So, like, she can't take credit for this miracle because mm-hmm. she can't prove that she's a magical girl because like that's not how mm. this stuff works mm. like regular mortals can't see it and like our last guest emphasized uh the issue of isolation when manipulating and exploiting girls and like there's this built-in isolation when you accept the contract mm-hmm. yeah because now you inhabit two worlds mm-hmm. and it's kind of an unspoken thing you can't let your normal life in on this life. Mm -hmm. And then how can you get help with a problem that no one sees? That's fascinating. Oh yeah, because we set up that normal people don't see the witches, right? They don't Mm -hmm. see that influence. They don't. They don't see Cubay. Okay. Oh, that's right. He's invisible to them. That is so fucked up. And, 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 mm-hmm. and maybe this is kind of going back to, like you were saying, like Humura was trying to stop Cubay from seeing them, but like, yeah, they, they've already changed now. They can see Cubay. They can see these grief seeds and witches curses and like something mm-hmm. has already changed, even though they haven't signed the contract. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that is sort of an interesting juxtaposition because I, you know, I, I do see people kind of throw around the uh, the term like deconstruction a lot. And obviously that comes up with Madoka and people bring up rightly so that like, I mean, I don't know, like a lot of magical girl shows have pretty like screwed up stuff in them too. But what is sort of like uniquely interesting about Madoka's angle to it isn't necessarily that it's doing stuff that no magical girl show has done before, but it is taking these sort of more banal or innocent elements like, oh, we have to explain why, you know, the magical companion animal can't be seen by regular people so they won't like question it. And usually that's just utilized for a very innocent purpose. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. okay, well, we have to sort of keep the girls double lives under wraps uh, so that they can save the day and not like get other people in danger or whatever. But in this scenario, it is less to their benefit than it is to their direct isolation. Like Cube cannot be interfered with or stopped by people that could maybe, you know, have a little bit more life experience and see that he's playing them. And so that's what makes this like a deconstructionist work, right? Mm. That it takes those elements of those tropes of the things that came before it in this genre and it examines them closely. Uh, examines them under a more, I don't want to say cynical lens necessarily, but like uh, takes this sort of the logical extremes of these tropes and their implications and sort of like puts them under a microscope of like, what if this has 
you know, a much less innocent intent to it. And like, what is the implication if you follow this line of thought to its end point? Mm-hmm. Well, and the creators of the show may have, you know, very clear opinions on what this kind of children's programming does to people. Because like, on the other hand, you know, shonen stuff, like usually there's lots of, I mean, there's fighting and magical girl stuff, like, but shonen stuff usually gets you like really excited about the possibility of combat, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, elevated combat, magical or with mechs or something like that, which is not really something you want to do to young people at all, unless you want them to be normalized towards like joining the military or joining a police force or something because in the real world that's where you actually find those situations that they've just gotten excited about by watching the show right Mm -hmm. and and so would the equivalent be for a shoujo it'd be like finding a relationship like is that the equivalent instead of combat it's love yeah, well, very much so. Oh, well, and, and this is the perfect episode to talk about that with, right? Because we've had all of these throwaway lines of, oh, I wish I was getting uh, romantic love letters from boys. But we see Sayaka actually interacting with a boy she is interested in. And it is, one, pretty one-sided. And two, just like, not good for her. Mm-hmm. And now she's made this like really life-changing sacrifice in sort of pursuit of like, I mean, there is sort of a selfless element to it. Like she does, I think Sayaka isn't lying when she says that she wants to help people, but there is also an element to it of like, I want to help this person so I can like seek his affection and his attention. Yeah. There's some, somewhere in there, I forget what she's talking about. If it's like visiting him or the wish, you know, where she's like, Oh, do I want him to just like say like, thank you? Or like, do I want something more than that mm-hmm. out of this? And it's like almost like she's at this point where she can't even admit to herself that she has these sort of like romantic feelings for him. So she's like mm-hmm. keeping it in her head as like just friendship or something. Mm-hmm. And mommy even warned her in episode three. She's like, you know, I think it's really nice that you want to do this thing for somebody, but you have to ask yourself a really important question, whether you're doing that for an entirely selfless reason, or if you expect a reward for that. And Sayaka gets not like pissed, but she gets a little bit like, I'm going to admit, I didn't really want you to say that, <laughs> but I get it. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, that's an important thing to know about your own actions, right? Like, it's fine if you're expecting something from your actions. The problem is when you deny that to yourself or when you like occlude things from other people. You know, that's like part of consent. Like, I want to do this thing from you, but I'm I am expecting this kind of return. Like Mm -hmm. if you're above board and honest about that, then that gives the other person the opportunity to say yes or no. But like Sayaka does this amazing thing for this young man, but also didn't give him the opportunity to say yes to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, considering the responsibility she's now taken onto her shoulders, it is something that she is sort of doing at her own expense while also like she has to grapple with the knowledge that like, even if she wants that sort of reciprocity or like, you know, that kind of, Oh, thank you so much. Like she can't really expect that because there's no way to meaningfully articulate that to him. Mm -hmm. This is a little bit changing the subject, but I think it sort of relates to this whole conflict 
so last episode I was saying like I sort of have these struggling ideas for oh what does it mean to be a magical girl and when is this sort of like it's this like bad path you can go down as a teenager like you know drugs or prostitution or something like that but then this episode it's almost like feminine sacrifice or something like that like it almost feels like it's about mm-hmm. like becoming a housewife or something like that and you know giving up your own dreams to kind of serve someone else and how society won't appreciate that. No one will like actually remember these sacrifices. You're helping people, but in this way that like no one understands or appreciates and no one like remembers you for doing these things. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's actually meaningful that you bring that up too, because, you know, Homura brings that up very pointedly, like, uh, people who like magical girls who die in barriers, like their bodies are left behind there. They won't even be discovered. Like she'll just be eternally missing. Nobody will remember her. And then Madoka very pointedly says like, well, I will. And like, and if the same thing happens to you, then I'll remember you too. So in that sense, if it's sort of like gesturing towards sort of like this feminine sacrifice and like the ways in which girls sort of like are sidelined and made to do these things without appreciation, then it's also pointing towards this notion that like women see each other and like, you know, sort of validate each other's experiences by seeing each other's pain and being able to like, be like, well, I, maybe I can't take it away, but I, I see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of highlighting how like doubly unfair this situation really is. Because not only are they taking on this extra labor of saving the world or inspiring people or whatever, but they also, by just necessity, they have to take on the extra labor of appreciating each other because no one else is in a position to do that, Mm -hmm. just based on the structure of the society. Yeah, like the other people can't even see it, right? While at the same time, of course, you know, uh, Cube is sort of incentivizing that they be pit against each other in some ways as well, as we saw with the uh, the new character who was teased at the end of the episode. Does she see, feel like Asuka to anyone? <laughs> yeah, like right yeah a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. All right, so I have a reading on this episode, but it's a stretch. All right, so it's called like Miracles and Magic Are Real. And we were just having this conversation about being seen people not being seen like fuck this really is a fucking stretch but i'm gonna go for it um in magic and miracles like stage magic Mm. uh there's what you want the audience to see and then there's the actual trick that goes unseen in miracles like there's just generally no witnesses to the miracle but Mm -hmm. you have the stories which are seen this feels like like this portrait there's mommy whose image kept coming up during the witch thing and then uh, Sayaka, yeah. Mm-hmm. Both of them had this grief. Like mommy uh, was living alone and she kept getting stains on her soul gem and have that and needed to like put onto the, the witch thing. And it's like, where was that coming from? It was, well, we, there was a kid who was suffering loss and isolation. And now we have the new magical girl and she is, I mean, Ben and Alex, you're smart. Like, you know how this is going to go, right? With the boy. Is it going to be awesome or a piece of shit? It's going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to have another magical girl who is just going to be depressed. You're saying like Sayaka is going to. Mm-hmm. 
And that's like kind of part of the isolation, right? Like mm-hmm. keeping them not feeling good about themselves, always descending, always riding that elevator down. Because when you start actually having self-esteem, that's when you can break away from these coercive power structures. Mm-hmm. So what I think is part of the overall theme of the entire series is girls being manipulated and exploited and that suffering going unseen mm-hmm. until Madoka, who comes into the scene and says that she'll remember mommy and she'll remember Homer if she dies. She'll be the one who sees everything, which that's what the magician does on stage magic. Ah. He's the one that sees how the trick goes or the miracle worker who sees the thing play out, which I think that's why if Madoka is going to be like the magical girl, that's why it's because she already has magic in her that's not being given by Kyube. I really like that, actually. And I, I think this actually is probably a perfect time to bring up the thing I've been saving. Let's do it. So, and, and I'm sorry if this is a little bit of a mouthful because it kind of dips back into previous episodes, but um, I've brought it up before. Like I made a couple of analysis videos about Madoka a few years ago now. And um, one of the big sort of like art inspirations for Madoka that you can tell uh, that the creators had in mind as Faust And in Faust, um, obviously, you know, the starting premise is sort of, you know, Faust, the main character being the sort of like dissatisfied, knowledgeable uh, man who uh, inquires for more like knowledge from the devil. And uh, Mephistopheles makes a bargain with Faust, basically says like, you know, I will serve you and, you know, you'll have access to my magic power for this amount of time. At the end of our terms, though, I will claim your soul and like, you'll Mm -hmm. be my slave, basically. So at the very beginning of the first episode, um, we get this sort of like uh, rune language uh, on the title card that says prologue in heaven, which is the title of the prologue of Faust. Hmm. where it's basically the wager between, you know, God and Mephistopheles talking about Faust's soul. And and sorry, just to, I, I don't want to interrupt too much, but that's like in mm. that kind of cold open dream sequence in episode one. Yes. Um, then later on, when they first encounter like their first witches, like the little cotton ball things with the mustaches, we get this uh, sort of like runic text that swirls around the barrier, which is an excerpt from Faust, uh, which says, uh, I actually have them all here. So I'll like read this out. It says, uh, the witch, this you must ken from one make 10 and two let be make even three. Then rich you'll be skip o'er the four from five and six. The witch's tricks make seven and eight tis finished straight and nine is one and 10 is none. That is the witch's one times one. Uh, There's just like a couple more here. Uh, I'm trying not to go like too overboard, but in episode two, do you know that like the scene where they're going into, I think it's like the hospital where the woman is like standing on the roof and they're going up to try to get her when they're passing a wall. There is like literally like German text just like written on a wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there was like numbers, mm-hmm. like it looked like typewriter keys or something. There's a, That's also from Faust. Uh, and this excerpt translated is, Woe, woe, thou hast it destroyed, the beautiful world with powerful fist, in ruin tis hurled by the blow of a demigod shattered, the scattered fragments into the void we carry, deploring the beauty perished beyond restoring, mightier for the children of men, brightlier, build it again. In thine own bosom, build it anew, bid the new career, commence with clearer sense and the new songs of cheer be sung thereto. I think that's pretty pointed. 
And then lastly, inside uh, Gretchen's barrier, or not Gretchen, uh, Gertrude's barrier. Gertrude is the witch in the second episode, the little like okay. slime head looking thing with the like the roses. Oh my God, so good. It's the text in its barrier says, cursed be at once the high ambition wherewith the mind, mind itself deludes. Cursed be the glare of apparition that on the finer sense intrudes. Cursed be the lying dreams impression of name and fame and laureled brow. Cursed all that flatters as possession as wife and child as knave and plow. And I think that's really interesting because it is very pointedly like, you know, if we're to think of like why this is being used contextually, it's like talking about like a lying dream and of like, you know, sort of like this curse of taking up this new profession and fame. And it's like, it's specifically being shown alongside mommy's first real sort of like badass you know, magical girl fight that is inspiring Madoka and Sayaka and making them think like, oh, I could do this. I, I, I really enjoy the way these references are being deployed and that they're like sort oh, of yeah. that like if you know, like if you to look for them and like see where they're placed and like the contexts, it's like it's just kind mm-hmm. of playing its hand very directly. Awesome research, mm. by the way. And, Thank and, you. And so when you're when you're talking about the witch's rune, so that's those are those sort of weird characters that we see in that witch world. And mm-hmm. is that just like it's like there's sort of a one to one correspondence between those characters and alphabet letters or something, and people have figured out how to decode them? Yeah, mm-hmm. I th- I think it's like uh, it's been documented on the Madoka Wiki, I believe. Mm. Yes, it's like basically we've seen the runic alphabet throughout the series and basically like a lot of people in the fandom sort of just like got together and code breaked it and like each one does like correspond to a specific letter uh in the english alphabet Mm. so like if you just you know if you if you know which ones to look for in what order then whenever they appear you can just sort of like stitch them together with a little guide picture and sort of figure out what it's supposed to say that's like a very i'm trying to think of something else that has like such a i don't know like elaborate easter egg clues hidden in actually let me see um because i'm reading this over again yeah it says the general correct assumption was that each rune corresponded to a letter in german but at the time it was still possible that the text was encrypted a newly constructed language or even that they were just scattered completely at random german was chosen as the most likely candidate because it has appeared as direct quotes from faust oh the witches like familiars were observed to be chanting in german mm. which is true uh that some of them often do that they uh they do it in a lot of madoka movie uh media i know there's I can't remember if it's in the show or in one of the movies where they literally just stand around saying God is taught over and over again. So that's like pretty on the nose. Mm. So so Faust kind of acts as a, a cipher for mm. this translation. Like Definitely. that's how they figured out, oh, it's in German. Oh. Okay. Mm. How cool. Now I got to read Faust. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it, there's a thing. lot of like interesting overlap between the two. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not going to get like too much into like the further media, but like uh, they also very started, like they started taking like some evident inspiration from like Paradise Lost too. Mm. And then some people are kind of speculating from the looks of like the uh, little materials and teasers we're getting for the new movie, which is supposed to be coming out in like the next couple of years or something that it seems to be taking some sort of like aesthetic inspiration from Swan Lake and stuff. So that's kind of interesting. Badass. Mm. Oh, interesting. Oh, uh, and the 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 third movie um, had like a lot of uh, Nutcracker stuff in it too. Oh, mm. cool. 
Oh God, I'm behind the is, time. Is Faust mm. a play or is it? Um, it's like it's a book. I know there is a I play believe. version of it. Yeah, but okay, so book. Yeah, first. There, there's Definitely. like a film and uh, all that. But yeah, yeah, it's a maybe book. the play is Doctor um, Faustus. Is that a thing? Yeah, that sounds right. So I had one kind of structural thought about this, and that I there's there's a lot of parallels between the magical girls and uh, uh, idols. In Japan, mm-hmm. not just Japan, Korea too, you know, and and all over the world, musical acts, but specifically this like agency model for mm. idols, you know, like mm-hmm. you have to sign a contract. Oh, Once you sign yeah, the contract, yeah. you don't have time for friends or extracurriculars or falling in love with boys. And you don't really know the severity of the contract until you have signed it, mm-hmm. until they start telling you, well... You actually have to do this and this and this now mm. because like that's how the exploitation works. And there's this similar like there's this theme of performance kind of, especially with the uh, uh, mommy. You know, she felt like she was performing friendship. She was performing emotions. She's performing when she's fighting these witches. It's not just that she's fighting the witches because we see Homura. Uh, you can just like kill the witch. There doesn't have to be a big uh, uh, show of it. Yeah, like her... Her mm-hmm. guns like choreographed. Exactly. Like, She's like dancing and oh, doing this yeah. whole thing. She's really in there. And her outfit when she's her magical girl form is very different than her schoolgirl outfit. Whereas Homura is kind of, there's not much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Like there's a shot where she changes. And I was like, oh, is that is that what it is? All right. Well, I guess she's just yeah. wearing the same stuff the whole time. Almost. That is actually like a really interesting note that like mommy's style of fighting is much more like sort of uh, has that sort of theatrical weight about it where it's like, you know, she's doing a performance and she's trying to like appear impressive uh, and like a spectacle. Yeah. And then when it comes to Homura, she gets it done extremely quickly and not very flashily. And she doesn't really make a show of herself or anything like that. She actually stays mostly off camera during that entire sequence. She's like a ninja. Yes. Yeah. So there's this fascinating parallel to idol culture, but then there's, uh, I, I had this question. Uh, oh, in this barrier, this witch Like it had these dancing puppet angels, Mm -hmm. but it had this, like the personification of the witch was like a a TV or computer screen. Mm -hmm. Like it really struck me. It was evocative. It was really fascinating, but like I couldn't decode it in the moment. So I wondered if anybody had anything on that. Let me see. I'm trying to see if I can find what was the name of the witch in this episode. Oh, and so this makes it a, a little like in a meta way, like uh, Neon Genesis as well, that you come across all these witches, but they never tell you the names. Mm-hmm. Just like in Neon Genesis, all the angels have names, mm-hmm. but they don't say them in Just the show. You have to go to these supplemental materials. Which actually, uh, uh, obviously, like this stuff has been sort of republished in different supplementary materials as well. But I think the first time you got to learn some of these things was on like these little profile cards in um, the Madoka PSP RPG game. Mm. Um, Shut up, that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, the the name of the witch in this episode is, well, she kind of technically has two, actually. It is, Kirsten is the name of the witch, but she has a handle name because she is like technologically 
uh, themed. Okay. So she has like a username. <laughs> so her username is HN Ellie. Weird. Okay. So Kirsten, Gertrude, the witches' names are all quite German as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. Okay. Let's see. So, it's, okay. The HN and Ellie's name can stand for handle name, a term for nickname in Japan. This would mean her true name is oh. Kirsten, while she is referred to herself as Ellie and her as her other identity on the internet. Uh, oh, okay. That's interesting. Uh, when she mm. appears, the phrases. I'm not going to try to pronounce that in German. Um, the English pronunci- like the English translation is, I don't want to work. I don't like fools. What? Yeah. I mean, like the, the prominent like internet monitor imagery and stuff combined with like, I don't want to work uh, strikes mm. me as like a very pointed like hikikomori type thing. Wow. Right. Hmm. So maybe this witch used to be uh, a Redditor. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, a female Redditor? Do they exist? <laughs> okay. Um, and of course, this is out of left field. This isn't really related, but just mm. because of the stuff that we have covered, um, this witch reminded me of um, the robot from FLCL. Hmm. Oh, uh, Conti. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Conti, because it had these puppet angels and then it had the computer screen. And I was like, oh, it's just yeah. like uh, a flying computer robot. Mm, that's fun. Um, I, I was gonna say real quick too, like, because I just thought of this. I mean, like, now that I think about like the hikikomori imagery too, I, I am reminded of the fact that everyone that it gathered there in the sort of like warehouse were people that had this sort of disposition towards like being depressed hmm. and like feeling displaced in society oh. and being like, I don't really have any use in society. I couldn't even run this small factory. Like, I should just, you know, end it all, sort of thing. So it's like it's gathering people that are like like minded in that sense that they feel like they don't have any place in the wider culture anymore. So I'm really liking this show so far. I think this sequence is maybe like my biggest complaint so far. It just like like it just like felt like it came out of left field. Like I feel like like we had this conversation earlier with um What's her name? Hitomi, the mm. friend. And I like went back to like look at that to be like, oh, is she saying something that like might be leading towards her, you know, becoming depressed or cursed or something like that. But it's like, no, it's just like mm. sort of like this random conversation. And I don't know, like it, it did make me be like, I don't really understand the rules of this universe that well that like a character can just get this witch's curse and go from being a normal girl to like joining a suicide cult and then like forgetting all about it. And I don't know. It's just I thought it was a little goofy. I I do think that that I think was probably a little bit of like narrative convenience where it's like we need to get Madoka into the situation where she can be sort of like harassed alone by these people with a witch's curse so that Sayaka can come in and show off her cool magical girl powers so that we can know that she just got her wish done. Yeah, maybe it's missing a scene. There should have been mm-hmm. some scene with Hitomi where a conversation happened that, you know, give a hint for that. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. she has reason enough to be depressed. She has a very full life, you know, with these tea ceremonies and stuff that she doesn't have a lot of control over her, her own time. And her two best friends are now hanging out in a way that she's not. Yeah. And we haven't gone over that. But like, mm-hmm. you're right. There isn't a scene that actually addresses that. So 
It, it, it could be. It, it it would. I think it would have felt a lot better if they had had a conversation with Hitomi before she just showed up. I mean, it, it seemed like another product of manipulation, though, because mm. the mm. first person Madoka sees under the witch's kiss is her friend. Mm. So, so, like maybe Kube placed the witch's curse on Hitomi or something, and she mm. told Kube that all she wants to do is help people, mm. and here's ah. a crowd of people. We, and we, the, the witch's kiss to me just feels like a hex. I don't think it's a commentary on mental health or anything. You'd think, though, then that Kube would be there. Like, we don't see him anywhere in that sequence being like, Madoka, do you want to make the wish now? I mean, like, maybe because he's busy doing it mm-hmm. with what's her name? The MO seems to be that he waits till someone's desperate. Yeah. Um, real quick, I wanted to mention too, I just thought it was like, I, I did bring it up a little bit while we were watching the episode, but I thought it was just kind of an interesting art direction choice that they, when Hitomi describes like, you know, this sort of like the, the vague sort of like, oh, you know, we're going to abandon our bodies and go towards something higher. Um, when she's talking about the sort of suicide cult thing, when Maruka gets dragged into the barrier, uh, she becomes sort of formless and weightless and she loses sort of the line work uh, on her sort of like character, not character model, but you know what I mean? And she's very like sketchy and off model. And then when Sayaka arrives and sort of like, you know, comes in to protect her and sort of reestablishes her place and like gives her that sort of confidence to be like, oh no, wait, okay, I'm okay. Then she immediately pops back into the regular Mm -hmm. style. Like that solidity, that sort of like, somebody is here that sees me and understands me. Like she is able to get a grasp on herself again. Mm. That was a really good scene. It is interesting that we get, uh, you know, the way this suicide cult is planning to kill themselves is by, I think it's combining bleach and ammonia. Are we we allowed to say it? Yeah. 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 Don't try this at home kids. Yeah. Do not. But I don't know. And then you get this flashback of her with her mom. And and it's sort (laughs) of interesting that it is, it's like, even though the dad has been the one doing all the like household stuff, it is this, it is the mom that's like telling her not to combine this stuff. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of random, but, uh, Oh, well, maybe it hasn't always been that way. Like maybe the mom does her share of housework too, like cleaning, Mm. but maybe it wasn't always this way in their household. Mm. You know, maybe the dad used to have the job and the mom just found a better job or something. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's an interesting thought. But, but, but to just that, like, I don't know, this show, like, I don't know that the, the deadly thing is somehow related to like, cleaning and housework I think <laughs> an interesting choice well yeah there there is that strong theming of uh, traditionally or typically feminine domestic work right mm-hmm. like scissors and all of these things even the sweets is kind of like cooking so there, there's definitely that backdrop of like what young women are up against essentially what they're expected to do and what's really doing what's really good for them mm-hmm Okay, well, this show's fucking real good. <laughs> I'm super excited because I'm not the fresh eyes for next week. So now I get to go watch five and yeah. six. <laughs> ben, you suck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like when I watched the show for the first time, I think it had just finished airing like a month or so ago. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll watch like three episodes tonight. And then after what happened in episode three, I was like, I'm watching the whole thing tonight. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. 
Okay, well, any last thoughts on this episode or the series so far before we ask our guests some questions? I think we're supposed to ask the newbies what your predictions might be. Well, I predict there will be a fight between two magical girls uh, within the next two episodes. Yeah, I mean, we we got our new character for sure. I think it's going to be one of those things where she shows up as at school. She's like the new transfer student and we might get like <laughs> uh, a little bit of a contrast with like Homura's, you know, her intro and like how impressive she was. And, you know, I think we're going to have something like that, but maybe with like delinquency, a uh, mm. charmed, I'm sure moment. How many rapes this girl eats or something. It's <laughs> my bad prediction. It looks like <laughs> from Blix's <laughs> <Blixis laughs> reaction. <laughs> All right. I, I have a new question I want to start asking the guests. Um, oh, cool. cool. Which yeah. is, uh, so what What would your wish be? Oh, <gasps> that's a good question. Oh, 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 man, I don't know. That's tough. Because I have to, like, weigh the responsibility of what I will be expected to do <laughs> in response. Um, is it too OP of a wish to to wish for all, like world conflicts to end <laughs> mm, that's not bad oh that's a great idea like you it you know and it like you said you have to weigh what being a magical girl is mm-hmm. like what yeah. what would be worth it to you to uh contract yourself to this life yeah because i mean like societally i imagine like if if that's like if that's possible like if you can make a wish like that that's so sweeping and it's like oh yeah it, it'll like totally you know and suffering and conflict between people then it's like well i mean yeah the job would suck but i think it's probably worth it because no one person could regularly do something like that mm. you'd have to watch out for the monkey's pocket yeah that's stuff. true i was trying that's to think true. of that one it's like yeah then we're stuck in like 1984 world or something right like, true <laughs> i would have to word it very specifically yeah, yeah. get a lawyer I, I would wish for uh, an evolution of human consciousness mm. instrumentality mm. yeah Oh, so my last thought that I, that had escaped me earlier. Um, I've heard a lot of people express frustration for a show that has a lot of like supplementary stuff outside of the show. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of cool though, because at that point, like hopefully you are emotionally invested, but you're still consuming media mm-hmm. and, you know, going out and being a part of, you go from a consumer to a hunter gatherer right. and like, you're more participating in the story mm. now. I, I actually really do appreciate that kind of thing. It's one of my yeah. favorite things about sort of like more esoteric uh, media because it makes me feel more actively involved with the world of the story because, you know, it's not just that I'm like observing this knowledge on a surface level or having it fed to me. It's like I'm almost kind of like researching a little pocket dimension. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like it's required right like i think to me it would bother me if it's like oh this makes no sense like unless Mm -hmm. i do research i can't get it but like i don't know it feels like you know like it just blends in with the aesthetics on the surface level Mm -hmm. like there's runes and stuff like that right that then it's cool that it has this added layer beyond that and i hear screeching distortion (laughs) just now oh no not me Mm -hmm. oh my god you're about to enter a witch world yeah, <laughs> no. Then your voice just became terrifying. <laughs> but like for me, um, I'm like 
you know, some of my favorite things are like weird web ARGs and like, um, yeah. I, I also have been a fan of gorillas for many years. So I'm used to looking for supplementary material. Mm. I was, I was going to say the <laughs> to answer my own question of something else that has that like deep of lore. One thing that came to mind is that Netflix series OA, the OA. Did you guys ever oh, watch yeah. that? But yeah, I saw that. That had like, characters with like braille written on their faces that like people translated and yeah. stuff like that oh, wow. and that's Whoa. interesting uh well speaking of supplemental materials uh marcy yes. if someone enjoys <laughs> madoka or is enjoying this ride so far is there anything you could recommend as a follow-up series or a companion series or even like a come down series Yes. Um, related to Madoka itself, uh, obviously, if you watch the series, you should definitely watch uh, the film uh, Rebellion uh, that is a sequel to it. Um, as far as like spinoff material, um, there are two manga spinoffs that I think are actually like fairly underrated uh, that sort of are like take place in the same franchise. And those are Kula Magi Kazumi Magica and Oriko Magica. Those are both like their own sort of self-contained stories. They obviously they're not perfect, but like, you know, they're charming in their own ways. Obviously, there's the Madoka PSP game, which was not officially licensed and released in English. But like, if you want to play it in English, there are ways that you can do that <laughs> that I will not tell you. Um, but you can look them up. <laughs> yeah, you have to be a platinum member. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and obviously there's another, there's one other manga spinoff, but it actually has like the characters from the original series in it that I would not recommend reading until after you finish the television series, just because it kind of mm. spoils some elements of it. But uh, it is called Quilla Magi and Madoka Magica, The Different Story, uh, which uh, focuses a little bit more on uh, Mami because she is taken so early from us in the TV series. Uh, so it gets to shine a bit more of a spotlight on her. So if you had more like curiosity towards her character, that I, I would definitely recommend that. All right. And as for like uh, other related stuff or like a, a cooldown material, um, what is what is something that's bright and friendly and nice? Just watch Precure. <laughs> Just like watch any Precure. <laughs> Sorry, what's what, what's Precure? Oh, uh, Pretty Cure is uh, sort of like the premier uh, long running Magical Girl franchise mm. from Toei. Um, so it's a, played a lot more straight. I mean, like it, it does have its own stuff in there too. That's like, well, that's mildly screwed up, but at the end of the day, it's more of a, more of a family show. Okay. And then if people wanted more of you in their life, yeah. uh, where could they find you? You do YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. What do you do? I do video essays on YouTube, uh, at youtube.com slash Nezmi VA. That's N-E-Z-U-M-I-V-A. And that's my uh, at on Twitter and Tumblr as well. So uh, I also do like voice acting stuff uh, sometimes. So, you know, you may awesome. you may hear me in some random thing. I don't know. Very cool. Is everybody ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pen. Pen. Pals. Exploitation! Exploitation.